0: You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor at the Temple Terrace campus. I'd just like to welcome all of you that are here, all of you that are watching online, and of course, at all of our seven campuses across the Tampa area. Guys, it's Christmas season, it's holiday season. I remember as a kid, I just loved this season. Not just the gifts, but just the being, being around all the cousins, all the family, everybody. As a kid, I thrived on it. Like I thought it was incredibly fun. As a kid, if everyone was coming over, I was like, yay. And I think my parents were like, oh no. Like I just, I just love that. And we used to always go to somebody else's house. We'd go to all these other people's houses. And Then one year, one year, my dad's entire family came down to our house in South Florida for Christmas. And I was excited. I was like, my aunts and uncles are gonna be there. Everybody's gonna be focused on me. I was the oldest uh, cousin at the time. Like it's gonna be this incredible time until I found out the amount of cleaning that apparently had to be done before the in-laws come in town. And and, and it's a lot of cleaning apparently because there is a, my mom was a, she kept our house clean. Don't get me wrong. She kept our house clean. There was that that level of clean. And then there was the level of clean if somebody came over for dinner. And then apparently there's the level of clean when the in-laws come over. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like my mom, we're cleaning everything. My mom's like, you need to clean the baseboards. I'm like, what are baseboards? She's like, they're the thing. I'm like, I didn't even know we had those. Do we need to clean them? I mean, we have to clean underneath the couch. We have to take off the pillows and clean underneath the pillows. We have to take the pillowcases off and clean those and dry them and then try to put them back on the pillows. We, We are cleaning everywhere. We are pulling out the refrigerator and cleaning behind the refrigerator. And I'm so confused as a kid, I'm literally thinking at this point, I'm like, is my my grandma gonna come here with a checklist and grade my mother? I'm like, what is happening right here? Why do we need to clean so much? And I I waited till after we got done cleaning because it would have been awful to ask while we were cleaning that question. I asked my mom, like, why? Why do we have to clean so much? She says, how? Here's the deal. If everything is clean and everything is prepared, then we can just have a fun family time. Everything's gonna be prepared, everything's gonna be good, we can all rest, and we can just have an incredible family time. She goes, I am preparing the house for family to be family. I'm like, okay, I think that makes sense. But that's what we're gonna be talking about today. What does it look like to prepare our lives, our neighborhoods, our houses, for God to move in them during this season. And what's so cool is when we look in the Bible, there was someone that prepared the way for Jesus. He's actually somebody that we don't talk about very often because his birth coincides with Jesus and Jesus is the big deal. And so we don't talk about him that much, but his name is John. Uh, Some people call him John the Baptist or John the baptizer, but he was actually born six months before Jesus was, and he was considered the prophet that would prepare the way for all of the Jewish people, for all the people to receive what Jesus had to say. And what's so cool about the story is Mary's birth of Jesus, the, the miracle that happened there is not the only miracle that happened. It's not the only miracle birth that we even see in Luke chapter one. We actually see the birth of John as a miracle. You see his parents were named Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth were older in age. It said they were past the age of where you could have kids uh, on top of it. It says that Elizabeth was barren now, but it says that they were incredibly godly people. They loved God. They were righteous people, but they just had not been able to have a kid and Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was in the lineage of priests. I mean, they were an incredible couple, but just had not been able to have a baby. Well one day Zechariah goes in for his priestly duties about 2 weeks out of every year he would go in to do these priestly duties and at this time he gets the he gets the the ability, the, the greatness of being able to go into the main area. He gets to be the one that, that does the main sacrifice. So Zechariah actually walks into the main chamber and this is what happens in Luke one eleven. It says, when Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. You gotta understand, nobody else is in the room of Zechariah. Okay, when he would go in, none of the other priests would go in. This was very sacred. So he is surprised. It says, Zachariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John says, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He goes on to say, hey, you need to make sure he never touches wine or other alcoholic drinks because he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And then the next thing that the the angel says, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with us yet, but it's, it's very purposeful in what he says, and I'll show you in just a minute. He says, and he will turn many Israelites to their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah was one of the Old Testament prophets. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now that last part to us doesn't mean much, but to a Jewish person, it was huge because it was just 400 years earlier 400 years earlier, the last words that the Israelites had heard from God, 400 years ago, through the prophet Malachi, those exact words were spoken. If you go to Malachi 4, 5, and 6, he says this He says, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. What did the angels say? He's got the spirit of Elijah. For the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers. What is Zechariah hearing in this moment? You guys gotta understand how big this was. For 400 years, the Israelites hadn't heard from God. For 400 years, God had been silent. For 400 years, they're thinking, are we following the right guy? And then Zechariah goes into this sanctuary. He goes into this place and this angel repeats back to him the words, the last words, that they ever heard from God. He's telling Zechariah, I need you to understand, you're going to have a son, the savior is coming and your son is gonna be the prophet that goes ahead of the savior. Guys, this would be a lot to take in. This would be a lot to take in. And most of us probably wouldn't talk, but Zechariah has a response. In verse 18, we see his response. So Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is well along in years. He just got told he's gonna have the prophet that goes before Jesus and he's going, hey, um, Gabriel, right? Uh, I think you got the wrong priest. Uh, Yeah, Tyler's coming in later. He's a younger guy. He's probably who you wanna talk to. You just found out you're gonna have the prophet that goes before Jesus. And he goes, I think you have the wrong guy. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will be certainly fulfilled at the proper time. Zechariah just heard the greatest news in all of the Jewish people, and he can't speak I mean, this is, I I just imagine this. I don't know about you guys, but when I go home and like I've had a meeting with somebody, I go home to my wife, my wife asks me, so how was the meeting? And I go, good. And then she asks follow-up questions. Well, how did it go? I'm like, it went well. Well, what did you guys talk about? Stuff. Imagine you just found out your older wife is about to give birth to the prophet that goes before Jesus. She's gonna be asking questions and you can't even say anything. Like, how do you explain that? Well, what was the angel wearing? What did he say? How did he react when you said that I was old? Why'd you even bring up that I was old? Why'd you even say that, Zachariah? Like, what was his response? What was his tone? What was going on in the moment? The entire time, Zachariah can't even speak, which maybe was a blessing. But he can't speak the entire time, why? Why? Because he decided in that moment that he knew more than God that he knew better than God did. I mean, isn't it interesting in this moment, he gets this big news and he goes, wait a second, I think you have the wrong guy. Because I, I gotta be honest, I think we do the same thing. I think we do the same thing. And if in this season, if we are going to prepare a place for God to move, we've gotta do the same thing that Zachariah didn't do. We gotta do this. We've gotta stop telling God what he won't do. You've gotta stop telling God what he won't do. You know, it's always been amazing to me the parameters that we'll put on God, right? Like, like the parameters are like, I believe you made the heavens and the earth. I believe you created everything, but I don't think you can save this relationship. I believe Jesus did all these miracles. I believe he turned water into wine. I believe he raised people from the dead. I believe he did all these things, but I don't think he can do this miracle. It's sad as Christians, I believe this, is that we, we draw lines in the sand and we tend to draw lines in the sand, not of where God's power ends, but where our faith ends. Because if we was off of God's power, there wouldn't even be a line. But we do that. We go before God, God, God I don't think you, you can do this. I think you've got the wrong person. See, what's so cool about Elizabeth's story is not only was she getting a son, not only was she, was, was she having the opportunity to have the prophet that goes before Jesus, but her story actually affirmed and increased the faith of our other main story in this chapter, which is the story of Mary. See, Mary has Gabriel come to her too. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're gonna give birth to a child. He's gonna be the savior, which is a lot. She goes, but I'm a virgin. He goes, yeah, but you're gonna give birth. But I'm not married. Yes, but you're gonna give birth. And what the angel says to her is this. He goes, hey, just to probably help you in this faith thing, you know your your relative Elizabeth? She's also pregnant in this time. I'm sure Mary's going, wait a second, she's older, she hasn't been able to give birth, she's doing this. And so the angel leaves, and what we see is this, is we see Mary going, I need to confirm this. And she goes to see Elizabeth. It says, in a few days later, Mary hurried to the whole country of Judea, to the town where Zachariah lived. She entered the house and was greeted by Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit says, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. How did she know that Mary was pregnant? The Holy Spirit told her. She's affirming what Mary wasn't sure about. She says, why am I so honored that the mother of the Lord should visit me? Why did Mary need to go see Elizabeth? Guys, because I think for some news, an angel may not be enough. I hear people say all the time, oh, if an angel visited me, i believe him. I don't think so. Because when you look throughout the Bible, many times when the angel showed up, they need more proof, right? I mean, you see this many times. It's like, hey, the angel's here. Um, Gideon, we want you to lead the army. Well, make this, uh, make this fleece become dry while the ground is wet. And then you know, all of a sudden with Zachariah, what, what do you see? Would they have believed him right away? But Zachariah was mute. That was the sign that they got. And in this moment, Mary is going over to Elizabeth's house. Why? To find out is God really doing something in her life? See, and I think that it really explains two things. One, an angel isn't enough. I I hear people say, oh, if an angel visited me. Look, an angel only shows up for the impossible, all right? The angels don't show up to tell you who to marry. Angels don't show up to tell you what car to buy. Angels don't show up to tell you if your team's gonna win the game. The angel shows up, I mean, imagine this, anybody in this room, they say Elizabeth and Zachariah were somewhere between their 50s and 80s. So any couples in here between their 50s and 80s, if an angel showed up and said you were going to have a kid, would you believe him? (laughs) Probably not. What was it that affirmed her faith? It was God working in somebody else's life. It was her seeing that God is doing something in somebody else's life. Guys, this is why we need other Christians around us. This is why we need other people around us, is we need to hear of the good things God is doing in other people's lives because when it feels like he's silent in ours, we think he's not working and that's not true. He's still working. He's still moving forward. And in fact, our stories have a way of increasing other people's faith. And I've heard people say, but I feel like I'm bragging. Look, hear me on this. Telling your story isn't bragging. It's increasing the faith of those around you. Telling your story isn't bragging, it's increasing the faith of those around you. Guys, we need more stories, don't we? We need more testimonies of people that are following after God that are making it. I mean, we need more testimonies of marriages that are making it. We need more testimonies of marriages that have gone through the mud and are making on the other side. Not perfect marriages, but real marriages that are following after God. Why? Because there's people in this church, in this room, online, that don't think God can save their marriage. We need stories of kids coming back to parents, of of parents finding their kids and bringing them back to God. Why? Because there's parents in this room thinking there's no chance. We need stories of people beating addictions, of leaning on God and leaning on others and getting through that. Why? Because we live in a world filled with addictions and they no longer look like just the old drugs. There's so many things around us that we can put ahead of God. We need stories of people around us Guys, your story may actually be the catalyst. It may actually be the catalyst for somebody taking another step in faith. I remember eight years ago when my wife and I, we go, you know what, I think we should foster. I feel like God has put it on our our hearts and we started learning about the foster care system. And look, there's a lot wrong with the foster care system and the system and you hear about these kids with trauma coming into your house and bad things happening. We're going, I'm not sure if we wanna do this. And then we met with this one girl who was 25 years old. She was a single girl and she was fostering two kids. And we're listening, and and it wasn't easy, and she was telling us the true story. But as she was talking about how she was making through it, you know what I thought? And this sounds wrong. If she can do it, we can do it. If she can make it through, why can't we? Look, there's somebody right now that's saying, God, you can't do that, but your story would show them that he can Your story would be the breakthrough on the other side that shows them that God is still doing miracles. So don't miss it. There's two parts to that point. One, we don't tell God what he won't do, but two, we need to tell other people what God is doing because we're bragging on God. Why do we brag on God? Because he's the only one that can do the impossible. He's the only one that can do the impossible. So Elizabeth she is pregnant. She ends up giving birth to her son, John. And we see a very important moment because Zachariah was giving very specific instructions on what he was supposed to do. And we see whether or not he follows through. In Luke 1, we see that. We see when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. Now, this was a big deal. This is how the legacies were were brought on was you kept the family name. Says what, they exclaimed. There is no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly, Zachariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Guys, this is a big deal. This was his legacy. Nobody in his family was named that. This is how you passed on everything. And Zachariah in that moment said, I care more about what God called me to do than I do about what my family says. And notice this, the moment, the moment Zachariah obeyed was the moment he gained his freedom. The moment he obeyed was the moment his mouth opened up. Guys, there's a lot of us in this room right now that God has called us to do something. God has called us to move forward in something and we aren't doing it. And we're wondering why he, got, why he stopped talking. It's because that's the way God works. God speaks. And if we don't move, he stops speaking. So what do we need to do if we need to make sure we're ready for God to move? Here's what it is. Do what God has already told you to do. Do what God has already told you to do. And I, here's what I know. I know everybody in this room probably right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. God has told you to get rid of that person in your life or bring that person back. God has told you to start that habit or get rid of that habit. God has asked you to take a step in faith, but it's scary to you and you don't want to do it, but you're sitting there going, why isn't God speaking to me right now? Because he's already told you what to do and we've chosen not to do it. Guys, the the answer with Zachariah was the moment he obeyed was the moment his freedom was there. I kind of think of it this way. There's one week that we were dog sitting, one of our friend's dogs. And what's great about our house is we have the best thing for dogs. We have a doggy door and a fence, backyard fence which allows the dog to like, I, I think the most annoying part of a dog is having to take it on a walk, just for it to go to the bathroom. I feel like we're serving the dog at that moment. Like it just feels weird to me. So the doggy door works. Like they go out, they do their business, they can do it. Like you don't have to take them out for that. You don't have to take them out for a walk. You don't have to take them out so they can just bark at an eminent objects. Like they can just go do that themselves. Well, this dog, for some reason though, didn't wanna go through the doggy door. Scared to death of the doggy door. I'm like this isn't gonna work. And so we take him to the doggy door. We open up the flap. We, we walk him through. He does fine. He won't walk back through. We, we push him through the flap and he won't walk back through. He just sits there and waits. He was afraid, scared to death of it. So when he had to go to the bathroom, this is what he would do. He'd literally go right up to the doggy door and whine. It's like, you are annoying. <laughs> when all he had to do is get over that one fear, And everything that a dog could want was available to him. So many things to sniff. So many places to go to the bathroom. All of it was there. Here's why I'm saying that. Some of you are sitting at the door right now. God's told you to walk through and you're whimpering and going, God doesn't talk to me anymore. God doesn't use me anymore. He's like, walk through the door. Walk through the door because on the other side of that door is something way more. I know you're afraid of it. I know you're scared of what may happen on the other side. I know you're afraid of giving up what you have right now, but God promises what's on the other side of that door is better than where we're at right now. So I love the way James says it in James 1 22 it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are just fooling yourselves. Don't just listen to God's word. You have to do it. I mean, I think many times as churches, we get so used to just listening and hearing. And I hear people say, well, I just wanna hear some more preaching. I want you to go deeper. But have you done the things that we talked about last week? Like, have you gotten down to love God, love people? Because that takes a lifetime. Like, there's so many things for us to do. No, we don't need to learn more. We need to actually do what God has already called us to do. What does God ask you to do? For Zachariah, he needed to put aside what he wanted most, which was the lineage and do what God had called him to do. And in that he gained freedom. He gained freedom. See, God always puts a step in front of us. And it's that small step. That if we can just move forward, he opens up a door of possibilities. See guys, if we want God to come into this, what he won't do, and we actually have to do what he's called us to do. And the last thing that I, I see in this story actually happens at the end of this chapter, and, it, and it's a weird verse for us. It makes sense to the Jewish people of the time, but when we read it, we're like, they just end the chapter like that? Like, it doesn't make sense. And it's Luke 1, verse 80, and it says this. It says, John grew up and became strong in spirit. That's fine. And then he lived in the wilderness until he became his public ministry to Israel. What? And it just says it, so matter of fact, like, yes, it's a normal thing. He just lived in the wilderness. Like, why? It's like, it's not until you understand what prophets would do in God's time that you understand why he did this. In fact, what God would have his prophets do many times is live out physically what they were telling everyone to do verbally. For example, Isaiah was one of the prophets. Uh, God wanted to show them what it looked like to have a shame come upon them. So he made Isaiah literally go around for three years, butt naked talking about how much they needed to repent or shame would come upon them. Being a prophet doesn't sound like a fun deal. And so what John was doing in this moment was he was living in the wilderness. Why was he living in the wilderness? He was separating himself from culture. He was going back to the basics. He was relying on God because the Jewish people had been taken over by the Romans, but not only had they been taken over by the Romans, they started to take, come in, their culture started to come in. They started doing the things that the Romans did and they started accepting the gods that the Romans had. And they were Jewish only in practice, but not in the way they lived their lives. Which I think, if we're honest, and we look at our lives many times, especially as Christians in America, there's a lot of bumper stickers that say Christian, but very few that are living it out. See, what John is telling the Jewish people and what I'm telling us today, what we have to do is very just simple. We've got to live different. We've got to live Different. I'm not saying we need to go into the wilderness and be like John. I know all the hunters in the room were like, dear season. (laughs) He didn't even want the Jewish people to do that. No, what John was saying is I need you to give up on what culture is offering and go back to what God has. When are we going to stop believing as Christians that we can just take our old lives and slap a sticker of Jesus on top of it and call it Christianity? When are we gonna realize that what culture is offering isn't good? I mean, what's crazy to me is when you look at culture and what culture is offering, you don't see anything good. Everything that's wrong is rising. Depression is rising. Anxiety is rising. Suicide is rising. Marriages are falling apart. Everybody's lives are falling apart. Yet society says, chase this happiness. I need you to understand something. The moment we chase society's happiness is the moment we mortgage our future joy. And I don't even get it because there's not even a person out there that we can look at and go, look, this is the person that we should be like, right? Because all the famous people are sad. I mean, even on the side, I think that people say, well, it's the money, chase after the money and everything will be better. I think in the last like, three years, was it? Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates, guys who have more money than anybody else should have, got divorced, why? Because life is not about what the world has to offer. It's about so much more. God gives us the opportunity to do so much more, to have a life that stands out. I'll hear some people say, you know how, but if I really, really follow after God, I'm gonna come off a little bit weird. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to be a little bit weird. Because normal isn't working. Normal isn't working. Normal's not leading us into lives that matter. Normal's not leading into, us, into relationships that matter, into marriages that work, into families that love each other. Normal's driving that apart. Like when are we gonna get to the, to the side of understanding I can't chase that. And look, I'm not saying just you, myself too. It creeps in, it starts to get in there. It looks so good in the beginning, but it always leads to more pain. So what do you need to do in this season? In John 17, 14, this is what Jesus says we should do. He says, I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world anymore than I do. What is he saying in this? He's going, I need you to understand. You don't belong to this world. When you became a Christian, you got a new family. You don't belong to this world, but I'm not gonna take you out of this world, which means we can't just go in our room and study the Bible and pray to God and think we're following after him. We actually have to go into the world. We have to talk to people and tell people about God. But he says, there's gotta be something different about you. There's gotta be something different about the way you live your life that makes the world go, that's different, that's attractive, that's what I want in my life. Is your life right now, is it reflecting God? Is it reflecting what the world is showing you right now? Ephesians 4, 21 to 24, he says this way, he says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What's that saying right there? That means I don't take my old nature and put just a Jesus sticker on it. I don't take my old nature and put a new coat of paint on it. I get rid of it. I throw it away. I get rid of my old self and accept the new self that Jesus is giving me. See, we're not called to our old life. It says we are called to a new life. And what John was able to do is he was able to prepare a way for Jesus to come in and for people to hear what he has to say. Guys, our life right now has the ability to prepare the way for God to come in and do a movement. Our the way we live our life allows people to see Jesus. Guys, if you prepare your life in a way that God moves, you're not the only one that grows. Everyone around you does too. Guys, when we're talking about preparing the way, Pastor Craig just talked about Pastor Dale. Pastor Dale was someone who prepared the way. Because of the way God worked in his life, there are so many people, so many pastors, that are following God at a higher level than they would have before. See guys, when we choose to prepare the way for God to move in our lives, not only does he affect our moment, but he affects our future. He affects our legacy. Parents, it affects your children. It affects those that you work with. It affects everyone around you. So what's your next step? Is it that you just need to go, you know what? I'm not gonna tell God he can't do it anymore. He can. Or maybe that thing that you know you're supposed to do, you take that step, however scary it may be, you take that step and you move forward. Or maybe you're going, you know what, Hal, you're right. There's nothing different about the way that I live. I don't know why I keep going after it and I need God's help to move forward. But what is it? And some of you here may be going, that's great how you're talking about Pastor Dale. Like he started in ministry as a teenager. He, he did this for so long. I don't have the ability to do that. Like I've done too many wrong things for God to use me. And if you say that, I, I need you to understand, you don't understand God. You don't understand his grace and how badly he wants to use you to do more than what you thought. In fact, we know God loves us that much and he has that much grace because he says it over and over in the Bible. But not only that, he weaves it into the narrative of what we're reading here today. I mean, it's, a, it's so cool when you look deep into the story, when you look into the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. See, Zachariah's name means God remembers. Guys, this is a big deal because why? 400 years Israelites hadn't heard from God. 400 years, God was silent. Zechariah's name means God remembers. What does Elizabeth's name mean? God's oath. You put them together, God remembers his oath. God remembers his promise. God's going, "I, I need you to understand if I promise it, it will happen. You know what's really cool? John in the Greek means God's grace. God remembers his promise. What is his promise? It is grace for all. So if you're here today and you would call yourself a Christian, but you're like, how I can't take a step forward. There's no way God can continue to forgive me. I've taken this for granted. No, 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 his grace is still enough. His grace can still allow you to go forward. And for some of you, you're in here today. You've never even taken that first step. You've never taken that first step of giving your faith and having your faith in God and believing in Jesus and who he said he was and taking that first step into God's family. You're going, his grace isn't enough for me. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. When he died for us, he said, all sins are forgiven. So today, if that's you, if you're in this room, if you're online or you're one in our campuses, And you have yet to take that first step and give your life to Christ. I'm gonna say a prayer out loud here in just a moment that you can say quietly right where you're sitting and start that relationship with him. If we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you wanna start that relationship, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you can say quietly right where you're at and start that. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he lived that he died, and that he rose again. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Help me live a life that honors you. Help me prepare the way for others to meet you too. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, that is the best decision that you will ever make. And we'd love to come alongside you and help you with some next steps as you start this journey of being a Christ follower. So right now, just to give you those next steps, I'm going to ask the campus pastors to come up and close out the service. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.